Connors T, how are you? Welcome to another Candlelit Tales podcast. My name is Sarika and I am sitting down in a different country from... And my name is Aaron Hegarty, um, her brother, dad, damn it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm in Germany and, you know, we're talking about Irish myths. Technically, we're talking about the last episode and the last podcast episode was the second battle of Moitura. And yeah, welcome to uh, another Candle Tales podcast. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for, well, yeah, just sending us all your good ear waves. That's, um, that's, that's oddly disturbing as an image, sending us your ear waves. Yeah, it's a new thing I'm playing with, you know, mm. just like imagining mm. the ear waves being sent from one person to the other by I, I kinetically think... listening to the other person i think i think keep workshopping that one maybe (laughs) maybe maybe (laughs) brainstorm it a little bit more refine it i do see your dance dance. though yeah it is part of your dance you can see aaron's uh fancy apartment decor and his cool dance over on youtube if you're not watching this on youtube um (laughs) you know he's he's got an apartment it's pretty tidy in frame and i assume (laughs) oh everything i know my frame <laughs> I trust me. I know my frames. I know my frames well. Uh, I know. Yeah, <laughs> it's important to tidy up what's in frame. Very huh. important. I I bought some plants today though. I was I was feeling a bit lonely because I didn't have enough plants. So I bought what looks like a sunflower uh, plant. It's far too small to be a sunflower. It's just like a baby little sunflower plant. And, and you also uh, bought. Missing. A purple thing that looks nothing like anything like a sunflower, which was actually what you were showing me while you were talking about sunflower. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Over my right shoulder is the is the tiny baby, uh-huh. <laughs> and then over <laughs> the ear. So, <laughs> this is the purple flower that looks nothing like anything other it than very a much flower. looked like you were like, here's something that looks like a little sunflower, and I was like, buddy, no. <laughs> Not even so. so not even anyway, slightly. I was trying to get you know close to the the gorse kind of uh, vibe. You know this. The oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, we got lots of no. the yellow gorse here as well. Well, listen, I think we should say a special thank you to our Patreon supporters because they bought you a new microphone in Germany Great. when your microphone broke. So yeah, thanks guys because that means we're able to keep recording and stay on schedule for this podcast for the summer. Because if not for you guys, his audio would be really rubbish. And I know because we recorded a podcast the other day that you're probably going to have to overdub. Sorry, buddy. Uh, I hate overdubbing podcasts. But anyway, I know. Um, I, know. I realized that I didn't do a backup audio. I hope this is fine. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. we're, oh, well, we're usually both... we record a backup. We usually record a backup. You can, your backup can be slightly late. I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, yeah, it's been fine so far. So thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, we're both a little bit tired. Uh, you had a frustrating day and I had three buses in a row disappear from the bus arriving shortly time. <laughs> so well, I was. Well, no, <gasps> I, I wanted to you. kill everybody in the yeah. industry of public transportation and everybody mm, else tough, around me as well. And also it was too sunny. Really sunny. 
It's too it's sunny. It's pissing rain here. It's absolutely uh, pissing rain here. It's suddenly bastard. the weather just turned. I actually kind of enjoyed it. It was raining. I was like, oh, look at that. It was like kind of warm rain. But I just spent too long out and um, in the rain, walking around the place, kind of getting flowers and doing bits and pieces. Yeah. And by the time I got back, I was like, oh, yes, get got to get my road mic that my Patreon supporters have supported us and given us and great. And, and then DHL had delivered it. And they said, like, thank you, Olivia something Simpson has um, collected it for you. I was like, Olivia who? Um, sorry, how do I get? And this is an apartment complex with, like, you know, lots of other people. And I didn't know where they were. So I um, had no idea where this woman was or where the package was or where this mic was. So then I went running around. I, I, I put a bit of flyer up by knocking on some doors. And then eventually I realized I should probably just bring the landlady and ask her, uh, which I did. And she returned my call. And then I got to the top floor of the other building where my mic was. Thank you, Olivia Simpson. Yeah. Uh, Olivia I mean, something Simpson. I, I, I do. I did kind of think it was quite funny that we got an email that actually what the email actually said was, Ihr Thoman Packet is angekommen. Wir haben is ihrem Nachbarn Olivia Trigg Simpson übergebürt. And I have no idea what any of that means. And I apologize for the terrible German accent, but I just think Germany, German sounds funny when I read it in a bad accent. And I apologize to anybody who disagrees, but I, st I stand by it. <laughs> I mean, it also sounds a lot angrier than, than the, the sentiment. Uh, yeah, it always, invariably. It, it's invariably, a little bit, yeah. it's a little bit like Brazilian Portuguese that way. It sounds angrier than it is. You know, hello, how are you? Sounds like a terrifying argument for some reason. I don't know why. It just always does. To me, to me. To, to, yeah, you know, the unbiased, uh, uneducated, uh, non-linguistic uh, siblings here. We just think German sounds angry. Not, not all of them. I've met lots of very lovely Germans. I'm going to backpedal a little bit. Actually, today, <laughs> I, you know what? I was like, uh, is Brick is still English? Because I was in, uh, in I went to, into a gym, went for a swim, uh, came back out, realized I forgot to grab a towel at the entrance. And I was like, oh, oh, oh no, I have no towel. I didn't bring a towel because you've got to get the... So then I, like, I turned to the guy next to me and was like, any chance you speak English, buddy? And that's kind of all I got really is like, Brick is still English. And he was like, yeah. And he gave me his towel. Like, how sound was that? So, you know. That's that's a that's a guy. You know what, Aaron? You would not do well in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy because you you failed Always. the basic test, which is knowing where your towel is. And that guy passed. Always bring your towel. That guy. That um, guy knew where his towel was. He he he's yeah. got it. He's got it going on. You on the other hand, buddy. Um, so speaking of towels, speaking um, of towels and knowing what the heck is going on. Kind of the podcast, the the story that we're supposed to be dissecting and talking about. We are basically analyzing and talking about what came up in the second battle of Moishura. And this is, let's face it, a story we've told an, mm. a lot. We've kind of gone through the very first time we decided to do a theater show, kind of a dance theater esque show, was was based around uh, Lou the Savaldonok, the killing of Balor, and Ethlyn. We called it the dream of Ethlyn, where we kind of placed everything that she saw in her dream as this whole story. And it was a beautiful dance with Emma Byrne as, as one of the dancers, um, Jade Roxanne O'Connor and uh, Stephanie Dufresne helping out loads, and probably loads of other people that I can't quite 
I'm running right now. Pat was involved in Kat that one Lachlan as well. Pat Lachlan was, was involved, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, our, and our usual crew. Um, and all of the musicians. Oh, um, <laughs> who, in fairness, Rory was spearheading that one. That was before Ushin joined, actually. But yeah, so we, right. we, we kind of went around that story a lot that year. That was four years ago, five years ago now. Um, mm. And so that's kind of been one of the first times we really uh pushed a show into kind of a theater version and as a result we ended up like reading quite a lot of other versions and, and take, like took looking and at it from different points of view as as we mentioned in our chats about the first battle of Moitura, we also ended up nicking some of the cool stuff from the first battle of Moitura and putting it into the second battle of Moitura because we liked it um, yeah <laughs> so we we also did a little bit of amalgamating there and kind of putting things together um but yes this is this is Moitura too the Moitura ning mm. except it's a different Moitura because it's in a different place because the first battle of Moitura is in Moitura Kong which is in Mayo and the second battle of Moitura is in Donegal I believe yeah but so there, there are pillars in both of them yeah, because the, this is the thing that the the name Moitura it, it refers to the plane of the pillars Moy or or Mai in in Old Irish is um is a plane and the Chura bit means apparently the pillars and it was this idea that they raised pillars and posts for the poets and the bards to stand on and cast magic but also like observe and record everything and sort of like document except without documents because it was just looking and remembering and then writing a song about it that was catchy. Um, and yeah, so they end up, that's how you ended up with two Moituras that are two places and two battles in, in two different time periods and two different, two different locations, which classic. I think is kind of classic, classic Irish mythology move. Let's not make it the same place. Let's just give it the same name. <laughs> And have it be a completely different thing in a completely different place. Um, of course, that can, <laughs> so confusing. Similar, but not the same. Um, Similar, so but completely of, different. So one of the things that kind of clicked with us when we were talking about how to tell a story was, oh, for the very first time, uh, and we've like we've expanded upon the character of Bress, the character of Lou, and the character of Balor. It's kind of the three main players within this. Nuada was the other big player in it, I guess. But like mm. you know, we focus on those three. And one of the things when we were talking about it, which like clicked for me for the very first time, and I can't believe it took so long, was that like the seven-year wait is such a bizarre thing. Bress mm. asks for seven years and sometimes he's still kind of the king for that long and then he eventually leaves and, and other times he's like, he's gone and they know he's going to raise an army and come and conquer uh, the island again and basically Nuada is left in charge to, to gather the forces together for seven years though. So you're kind of like, why did it take that long? Yeah, why seven years? Until we kind of went, well, I guess actually, like it's really, really, really hard to get the entire island to agree on one thing. We still can't do it today. Mm-hmm. Like we can't. There's just there's a whole other bit of it that won't there's, talk to us. And even um, in the bit that does technically talk to each other, we still don't get anything done because everyone's going, no, it's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. You did it. 
Um, so the idea of getting and like I get, get I guess you know before like since Ireland has had um, you know its independence, we've just had like obviously a hundred years of squabbling, fighting, restlessness, politics. Uh, you know, politics, just regular politics. Rel, we, 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 you know, I mean, like we've never had a dictatorship here, uh, other than the colonial rule, right? But we've never Which actually is, had. Yeah. We, we never had a kind of a forcible rule or a like a top down. Everyone agree, does what no, they're told because we because Irish people can't do that. <laughs> we well, I think I think it's part of our post colonial thing is that we do not tolerate that. Like Ireland, Ireland flirted with fascism at the same time the rest of Europe was flirting with fascism at around the time of like leading up to the to the Second World War. Um, but Ireland steered very very strongly away from that and even in recent years where kind of far-right parties are taking root in a lot of Europe and a lot of the western world we're still like it it doesn't it's not really rooting very strongly here there are some kind of attempts at authoritarianism and it's kind of you know racist nationalist stuff but like Irish nationalism is quite different because Irish nationalism is is still in some ways, um, because it is a post-colonial nationalism, it's not a nationalism of like, we are the superior master race extending ourselves over the inferior. It, and it kind of mm. never has been. It's always been, well, hang on, we deserve to live too. You know, and, and, which is a different starting point to like American totally. nationalism or, or British nationalism. It's Whatever. It can still get very, very toxic and very, very violent. Um, Sure. But it starts from a very different place. Mm. Um, and I think one of the reasons that it starts from a different place is like this idea of tribalism, of like taking care of your own and that that myth or that story or that line that there's a king on every hill. You know, there was like, there were areas that were governed by the locale and that's, that's all they had in mind for each other. And, you know, they didn't want to see across the the far hill to deal with their problems because that's their problems over there and we push it away and so like gathering all of the all of the rulers of of the country to come together and agree under a ruler who's kind of a peacekeeping ruler like yeah. the high king this idea of the high king being the the strongest guy in Ireland he was he was basically just a guy to settle quarrels you yeah know? it was it was less uh it, it seems to have been less of a feudal system than then 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 took again you know kind of later sort of medieval Ireland less feudal in their kingships than other parts of Europe you see it in the kind of inheritance thing you don't get like I am the king ordained by God because I was born the first son of this king that was also ordained by God because we didn't do the primogeniture thing it just didn't are you laughing at my accent I just that cracked me up. I did not expect that. It was, <laughs> to be fair, that was very funny. Neither I've always thought it is a supremely silly argument and deserves to be delivered in an extremely silly voice because that is the voice that goes in. That's kind of the voice that goes in my head whenever I hear, you know, anybody say anything about like manifest destiny. It's like, oh, I'm amazing. I got there first. You know, it just it just it just sounds supremely supremely silly. And deserves yeah, yeah. to be parroted in a supremely silly voice. Uh, so we had a slightly Good different point. mindset here. Um, interestingly, ancient Ireland was extremely hierarchical. Modern Ireland is kind of famous for not being particularly hierarchical. 
uh, which I think in some ways is a little bit of a myth because we definitely have a lot of, we, we have our share of classism um, and sure. snobbery, but um, ancient Ireland was incredibly hierarchical. And again, you, you had that tribal mentality of like, well, my patch is okay. So why do I care about what's going on in this other place down the road? That clearly has nothing to do with me and no impact on me whatsoever. So the idea of Nuada as a sort of not a top down leader, but like a facilitative leader of, you know, a lot of co-equal kings who were very status obsessed in a culture where certain ranks of lord could outrank certain ranks of king. <laughs> mm. So yeah, it all yeah. got real confusing. Um, and and the idea trying... of him trying to shepherd them to consensus. Yeah, that would drive you bonkers. And as soon as you got three of them to agree, three more would disagree. And like, I can only imagine how frustrating that would be. Like, even compared to our own history, you know, the 1916 Rising was like a faction, a small group of the Republican yep. Army basically, to, you know, taking taking up arms and most of the rest of the people in Ireland saying, don't do it, we don't want it, we don't yeah. want a war. You know, basically the majority. So you have this really difficult task for new of the who obviously represents the kind of like the strong arm of, of Ireland in this story to like stand up against the opposition. And he's kind of counseling to, to try and turn the tide. And yet he has all of these various uh, forms of tribes and kingships and areas that are basically kind of going, ah, no. Like we've heard yeah, from the best story that, you know, there was one um, sonnet or one satire written that kind of, made everyone realize that Bress was an awful king but making Bress or making people realize Bress was an awful king and should be deposed is one thing but then convincing everyone to go to a war is a jump it's a lot easier to persuade people what the problem is than it is to persuade people what the solution is in my general Damn. experience of both life and everything to do with politics it's actually not like it's often not that hard. Sometimes it can be hard because sometimes people are, you know, deep into a narrative that they don't want to get out of. But like it's it's often not that difficult to go. This is the problem. Like, you know, with the housing crisis in Ireland, everybody pretty much agrees that there is one and it's bad. Right. Like at this by now <laughs> took a while. Um, took a long time of the market will solve it. You know, the God market. It will come no, in no, and no, solve it's it. It's not that bad, guys. Guys, yeah, guys, yeah. guys, 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 guys. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. I mean, like, um, so, I own three houses, so it's fine. <laughs> it's clearly fine. Um, again, silly voices for silly arguments for silly people. Um, and apologies to anybody who actually has any of these stupid accents that we keep putting on. <laughs> I'm sure they're Don't lovely. Don't call it a stupid accent in the same it. sentence where you apologize <laughs> about it. Like, that's, we're, a, we're, that's we're, a double whammy. <laughs> we're making it sound stupid, but it isn't stupid. Accents are fine. Um yeah, I'm sorry I if you have a stupid accent, but that's on you. <laughs> that's just uh... maybe maybe try not to a stupid accent, you know. <laughs> sorry. Uh... Oh God. Uh, I said, can we edit this? We're not gonna edit this. Are we? <laughs> we'll edit this out. Should... Aaron, we'll, we'll, let's just say that we're gonna edit it out like we always do, and then not edit the post show because neither of us like editing. 
and just if anybody yells at us they'll yell at us it'll be fine and um, every time we ask Arjun to do it he listens and goes nah it's funny if I leave it in it's funny if I... yep thanks Ash. We've, we've since stopped asking Arjun to do yeah, it yeah yeah um <laughs> so what was my point I can't remember my point everybody sure. everybody has by now come to agree that there is a housing crisis but it is so much more difficult to get people to agree on what the solution is because mm. solutions are often complex and messy and costly and painful and difficult and yeah. involve a lot of time and a lot of steps and something like Bress is a bad king. We need to get rid of him. Is like, yeah, cool. Fuck that guy. And something like, okay, now he and all his mates are going to attack us maybe. So we need to commit all of our resources and all of our like fighters. And we need to like, cause like war is expensive. Like it's, it's, it's basically, we got to divert all of our surplus from where it's going into like making life better for everybody after by the way, years under Bress's rule where people didn't have a surplus because it got taxed off them. And now it's like, yeah. see all this extra money you have. I actually am going to need that. I'm going to need all of that and also all of your free time and all of your young, strong people uh, to maybe die and, and just come here. And, and <laughs> yeah. instead, of, instead of this going into tribute, you now need to make like a similar sacrifice in order to go to war. And yeah, you can yeah. see, I like, I get why people, you know, I it like you said, it kind of made sense as we were talking about this podcast in a way that it hasn't to me before either. Where it was like, oh yeah, because it's it's persuasive to say breast bad, get rid of breasts, because that doesn't cost anybody anything. But to say, okay, now to keep them out, we need to do this. That's a much harder sell. And it lands much stronger in terms of like even the meaning of that whole seven years that like how difficult it is to plan and actually take action to make something better than it was before. When things are bad, you can point at all the problems, but actually taking the time to put the effort in to go through with a plan to actually finally finish it or attempt to finish it, that's the hard work. And that's where Mm -hmm. like, you know, even and I, I'm a big fan of Russell Brand and his book Revolution was like, here's all the problems. And I was like, yeah, fuck, it's so many problems. But like, ultimately, he admitted he doesn't really have any any solutions. And there aren't that many being uh, posited to, to deal with what we're kind of looking at in, in modernity and yeah. civilization at the moment. And like, in some ways, there, there are a lot of solutions being posited, but there's also, I think there's always a problem and it happens a lot in kind of, you know, progressive movements and it, ha- it happens in any movements that are, trying to, that are trying to change things really, which is that idealism is easy and action is hard because once mm. you act, once you actually start doing something and it becomes real, it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. And there's such a kind of paralysis, I think, around acting imperfectly that a lot of the time we just fail to act. Because it's while it's still an idea in your head, it's it's perfect. And we know this. I think it's the same thing about creating anything, whether it's whether it's a movement for justice or for change or for, you know, environmentalism or whatever, whatever the fight is that you're engaged in. It's similar to creating something artistic. It's similar to creating a podcast or a painting or a a story or whatever your artistic endeavor is. 
it while it's in your head it's perfect while it's in your head it's while it's not realized yet while it's still a dream it's it's perfect and it's ideal but it's also not real and so in mm. order to manifest it you kind of have to kill it because you have to kill it in its perfection in order to make it manifest in the in the real imperfect world and then once yeah. you put it out there everybody can point at it and say see that's not perfect yeah, yeah and yeah. that's it's brilliant yeah like that's quite that can be quite painful and quite vulnerable and when you're talking about sort of movements for for justice it can get really really fraught because we all have a lot of blind spots so you know whatever whatever action you or I dis- might decide to take on something we're not going to consider everybody's point of view because we can't because we're individuals and mm-hmm. so they're they are also always going to be imperfect and it's it's easier and it's safer to stand on the sidelines and say that you'd see you did that wrong. And I think that's kind of, for me, that's where a lot of, a lot of the problems of the world, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them, it's not where they originate, but it's why they stay. It's why they're so persistent and it's why they're so hard to shift. And in, in that personal kind of element, it's like, whatever about the problems of the world it's like write the book like it's it's yeah. easier to talk about it in, in the pub but it, until you go and write the book then then you're putting in the, the hours and you know all about it if you've ever written one so like that's the real work and and sure and that's kind mm-hmm. of what nude is doing here he's going right this is the plan and i guess and it also kind of opened the door to me to go okay maybe his army isn't all of the entire ireland because they all gather in Tara and it finally makes sense why there's a gatekeeper saying we have enough people because he must have been badgered. He must have been like message have been sent. No, we shouldn't do this. Yeah, we should do. I was like, OK, look, I have, I have enough people. We have a, we yeah. have an army. We have all of the, the yeah, you know, food, the stores, the money. We have it sorted now. Feck off. <laughs> and, and yeah. And I mean, I think it's I, I keep I keep thinking of it in terms of a creative project, because obviously those are most of the kinds of big works that you and I have engaged in. Where like sure. there's definitely a phase of that where you're in like, tell me all of everybody. Tell me all of your ideas. Give me all of your input. Give me all of the stuff. And we both, I think, know that feeling of when you're on like draft three and then someone comes along and is like well what if you do like this and you're just like fuck off get out get out Out. (laughs) (laughs) not and it's like it's not that that might maybe isn't a good idea it's just like this is not the time now we are not now at the time of reinvent the wheel everything is up write me a letter and post it to me like Last like month. yeah exactly last year travel back in time and tell me this idea when it was relevant because i'm this is not the stage we're at now we're now at actually this is the thing we're doing and this is now has a momentum and we're if we're yeah. to do this thing this is what we need to do and if we were to take your idea it would be blow up this thing and go back to the drawing board and that's not what we're doing so otherwise you never yeah. get anywhere yeah, yeah. so it's it's kind of it does it makes sense to me as well that Nuda gets to a point where he's like all right gates closed if you're not in by now, I don't want to, you might be the best strategist in the world. I don't want to hear it. I have, we have a strategy. It might not be the best, but it's, it's what we've got. So enters into, you know, Lou enters. And again, I, I love this idea that he's kind of picking up a mantle that he's not really sure is he the Savaldonic, but he's deciding to give it a shot because it makes sense that he probably is. He like, in a way, it's Neo from the Matrix. You know, it's like, huh? 
Me? Yeah, you're you're oh, you're the one when 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 you start acting like the one. It's it's not something that anybody else gives you. And yet, I think it's interesting that like Lou doesn't refer to himself as the Sabaldonok. Like he's no. told by Mananon, and you know, I kind of set it up in the last episode that Mananon is like, "Hey, the, the Sabaldonok's going to kill Balor," and Lou's like, "I'm not really." the master of all and yet when he comes to Tara he's like hey I can do this I can do this I can do this and it's the gatekeeper and Nuada who go oh well if you can do all of those things then that makes you the Savadonok that is that is what that means and so it's a title that's kind of given to him rather than mm-hmm. him being like hey everybody I'm the Savadonok I'm arrived like he doesn't arrive on those terms he arrives being like I can do this one thing and oh, taking fit. your telling of like him knowing that prophecy, he doesn't wear that as a badge. Is like, hey, you know, like let me in. I'm I, I've arrived. You know, he's he really wants to get in, and if he's going to be in the right time in the right place, he'll do the thing. But he just mm-hmm. wants to take part, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the that's the great sign of any any kind of true hero in these stories of like I'll I'll show up and I'll do the thing. But it's it's not um kind of outcome orientated it's not focusing on on the end product it's taking part in the action of what it is right here right now without the the fame or any any consequences uh, that he's looking for yeah um which is kind of again a hallmark for a good guy <laughs> it's it's or, a whole it's a hallmark for i think it's a very much a hallmark for lou and and young lou is that he leads with humility and he leads with curiosity and I think those are the kind of two points that are, that we we both really drilled into in in this story in the last one, like about Lou, that this is this is who he is at this stage in his life, that this is someone who's like, you know, and that was kind of some of the the contrast that that we we talked about before between him and and Bress, Bress being the expert who who knows he's the expert in his thing, and therefore doesn't give a shit about him anybody else's thing, where Lou is. Lou is the endlessly curious one who's like, oh, I, you know, tell me about your thing because I don't know it. Let me hear about it. And so what he does then is also extremely Lou because when he's put in charge of the army, the first thing he does is he asks everybody. Now, of course, he has this little proving himself test first with Agma, which I think is also kind of a nice little interaction of like, not all of the two of Dedan are like, oh, the savior has arrived. Let's go lie down. Agma is like, all right. Prove it. Fucking prove it. Here's a flagstone. I'm throwing it away. It's shattered. Deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great scene. I love that scene. Every time I've read it, like it, the fact that he he throws them and they land right back. I, the, the three shattered pieces land perfectly back, you know, on yeah. top of each other. The, the completely impossible thing uh, has been done. And he is uh, not only the master of all and as strong as Agma, but he's like, he's willing to try. He's willing to go out and, and just, you know, make a fool of himself and fail. Yeah. Uh, but he does it and he can do it. And then he goes about, again, the humility in that, like he's, he's given the, the job to be the general. Like, you know, in my mind, he has no idea to be how to be a general. Like he hasn't, because the, the first thing he does is he goes on, ask loads of questions. Yeah. And he just go falls back onto that. Okay, what have I always done? I've asked questions. What can mm. you do? What can you do? What can you do? And then he sets up the strategy for how he's going to defeat the army and, and help with the, the battle to come, which again is interesting because like coming from a skeptical point of view, you're like, all right, surely Nuda had this game plan kind of already set. Like he doesn't really do anything other than 
you know, what does he overly do that Nuda wouldn't have done? Well, this is, you know, there isn't really, we don't have the details of it in this, in this, in this version. So that's kind of to be filled in what Lou might have changed or not, because their, their overall strategy is not that different from what the one they faced the Firbolg with, which is, you know, the healing well and the Smith and the, and the, the Dagda, like they have their kind of, they have a setup in war that works for them, which is we have these places of renewal where you can get your rep- weapons renewed and your body renewed and your spirit renewed. And you can you can then go back and continue to fight. So they have these kind of like, which I think is also like metaphorically great in terms of like, you know, try, any work of, of transforming the world, any metaphorical fights you have to fight. They have like, they have their day spa. They have their canteen. They have their nice place where you can get your nice things just all sharpened and lovely again. So they have like, you know, you just have nails these like- Nails done? Is that your nails done? <laughs> I mean, listen, somebody, somebody's going to become a salon. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you got to sharpen your weapons. Um, <laughs> um, but they, there's like, there's these little places of essentially like care and rest and restoration because sure. you can't fight day after day if you're not, if you don't have a place to go and be restored. And so mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting thing in, in the kind of Tuatha Dé strategy in general is like, there's the fighting place and there's the restoration place. And in order for the fighting to work, the restoration has to be there in support of it and is like gets kind of equal airtime to the battle in the telling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 bashy, clashy swords breaking and shields, but it's also like and then there's Gubnu who is making new spears and then there's uh, Kredna who is fixing them with rivets and there is Lukta and then there is, you know, there's there's yeah. these people, there's this support staff. Which I think is interesting because I think it's it's the kind of thing that doesn't get mythologized very much. This kind of quiet, restorative, reparative work that's happening alongside the glorious. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, and like you remind me of the, of the, the rounds of applause for the healthcare workers and stuff that's happened in this year, you know, like of like people who like work in the health sector who are like, day to day this is you know a friend of mine mark was like it feels like i don't want the applause because it's just like this is my job this is the thing that i'm doing for my work and yet it's that kind of it's because it's so underappreciated for so it has probably been appreciated for so long that mm. we're suddenly going oh yeah people we, we can't do without that and mm-hmm. that's why i love this story because it is equally weighted in like yet you go and you can conquer the adversity and you go over and you 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 battle and you get get through the hardness of the day and whatever it is but you also have to tend your own kind of vehicle and, and ma- maintain it and make sure that you're yeah. rested and and healthy of mind body and spirit and all of that takes time and practice and skill and mm-hmm. and like that's kind of what they're showing it's like you you have to be able to be skilled in life to be able to you know spend the time in your downtime to facilitate your whether it's work or battling or running or or whatever it is whatever whatever you're engaged in yeah you have to maintain that high endurance whatever it is you're doing by the other half of of your life you know And and I got to say, I like that it is ungendered in the Irish myth. You have men and women on the battlefield and you have men and women in the support staff. And there there are more men's names remembered because there are more men's names remembered. Um, we sure. know why that is. We don't need to go into that again. But like 
I think you often get that kind of work is often gendered in a way where it's like, you know, the, the masculine energy is, is the, is the going out there and active and battly stuff. And the feminine energy is the nurturing lay down in this pool of herbs stuff. And I just like the fact that particularly in the second battle of Moitura, you have Dean Kecht and his son and his daughter, you have Gobnu and Kredna, and then you have the, the woman, um, what's her name? Crom sharpening Crom. the spears and then out on the battlefield, you have Nuada uh, fighting alongside Maka. You have Ma. You you have the Morrigan. You have, you know, you have all. You have the battle goddesses out there with the battle gods, and then mm-hmm. you have, you know, again in the support staff, you have the healers and you have the the crafts people, and they're 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 both, which I just appreciate because I think part of the reason yeah, that yeah, that, yeah. that 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 kind of healing work, that caring work, is is kind of ignored in our society and underappreciated and has been for years is because we tend to associate it with more feminine uh, energy and we tend to devalue the feminine energy which I think is you know bad that's fair I would would take that as a valid point and and like it's frustrating as well because I think one of the great things about what Lou does in and it's shown in this story is like oh he goes and asks not only Dean Kecht and Gobdu and the Dogda but he asks kind of a wider selection of people and the carpenter and the guy fixing the, the brass onto it, Credna and like, and, and all, more people. And of course, mm. it's frustrating when Lady Gregory, the woman that who wrote all this down, has no woman mentioned. You're like, come she, on. She there. does. She mentions Aramid. She mentions Maka. She mentions Crom. She doesn't. The, yeah, yeah. She doesn't ever. She like, she's also transcribing, I think, you know, it, it it it's it's she's she's of her time as well and so she's sure. transcribing the stories that she's hearing and she's sanitizing them a little bit in a way that in in the same way that we are like we're we're reinterpreting them through our own lens um, absolutely and yeah it's always a little bit of a like come on lady <laughs> give give the other women their due it's not just you <laughs> um um, so there's kind of t- two, uh, well, two or three kind of final points I want to touch on. But the we had we had very briefly kind of gone through how we we're going to tell this, and we were happy with it. Then we went back, and uh, you read me the Lady, Lady Gregory uh, kind of version of the weekend, and we were oh right, there's two bits here that we really want to put in, mm. uh, and one of it is the Dagda's porridge, which is just a great episode, and in like of itself, it's a story like. You know, mm-hmm. you could tell that uh, like it's we a have. fantastic piece. We have, and to, to kids like as just one hold because his his belly goes so massive, he throws it over his shoulder like and drags it along his ground because he's eaten so much. And there's all forms of meat and meal and everything into this porridge, and he's even eating stones and and mud. Gravel. Like oh, it's it's a it's a hilarious story about the Dagda as a kind of a personality and as a person because I think you know it's a very kind of <laughs> it's a very Dagda move for him to be like oh I'm gonna go I'm gonna go talk to them uh like that's that's my first instinct in this situation where we're nearly ready for war I'm gonna go I'm gonna go talk to them I'm gonna go see if they'll like agree to some terms um and then of course you have this like mockery of hospitality from the people that Bress is fighting with, which is a real, like, I don't know, it felt really edged to me this time. I think because we're telling this in such a sequence from the the Bress story to the Balor story, to the Lou story, to this story, you know, it just kind of, 
in a way that it hasn't before because I've often told this as sort of a singular episode or as an episode leading up to the the second battle but like ne- not necessarily in the same flow as as telling the breast story but like having it be like oh you guys like hospitality well here's a bucket of grossness and if you don't finish every single bite of it I'm going to kill you like it's really nasty and it's also very it's very in character I think for the Dagda to be like okay I'll eat absolutely every single bit of it. And then I'll go away and make a deal with the battle goddess to fuck you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a bizarre one. But again, I guess it shows the willingness for the Dagda to do literally anything and everything I mean, for his for his group. I, I think <laughs> I think he and the Morrigan have a have a thing. I think he and the Morrigan I don't think that's their only time that they get off. I think I think they because Dagda Dagda's a very um I always think Dagda has a lot of kind of feminine qualities for a god and the Morrigan has a lot of like masculine qualities for for a goddess. You know, in that way where I was I know I was just kind of talking about how they blend that in Irish mythology, but I like that in both of them. Like, you know, he's the he's a god with a cauldron, which is usually a very kind of feminine fertility symbol, and she's a goddess with a sword, which is usually a very masculine fertility symbol. And I think I, you know, I don't necessarily think that they're ever going to get married and settle down because I don't think either of them are the type. But I like that they sure. have these liaisons. And like, they're, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I really enjoy the idea of like fat gods and giant goddesses getting it on happily and to their mutual satisfaction. You know what I mean? It's great. Not not um, everybody not everybody's got to be like an Adonis, you know what I mean? <laughs> gotta gotta have the the round, the chunky. Exactly, uh, exactly. <laughs> just a just a chunky dude and a and a giant lady, and they're just they're just having it off together over a river. Like just, I also I find it really funny. I remember telling this story uh, to a group of American students once. Um. And I had also told him various stories of tragedy and violence. And uh, the the professor who was leading the trip, who's uh, Russell, you met Russell. He's he was a hello, Russell, if you're still listening to the podcast. <laughs> he, he, he's a big giant Santa Claus. He's a big giant Santa Claus himself. But he, we were chatting about it afterwards and he said that it was it was. Uh, what really struck him was that it was it was really making clear to his students that these were kind of adult stories. These are not like children's stories. And it really struck me that this kind of funny story that has sex in it was considered, you know, by him and his students. And and I suppose by me, when I thought about it as well, is like way more like, oh, that's not appropriate for children versus all of the stories of gore and violence and heartbreak and tragedy. And I think there's something very odd in our culture where we're like, kids can't hear about people having sex, but they sure can hear about lots and lots of murder. You know, it's it's a it's a weird thing. Anyway, I'm just saying well, it's a weird thing. I, I, again, I don't have a solution. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think whenever I've been faced with that, I've always liked to make a nod to it. 
and oh, yeah. a nod to the the adults in the room and from it's predominantly aimed at kids to say yeah they fell in love and they spent a lovely night together and the following day they left or whatever it is or you know not going to this explicit details of the sexual encounter but also making it there like not skipping mm. it not you know like let, letting it sit there for that you know whenever they're figuring it out going hang on oh that that's what that is right mm. and waiting for that to happen because you know they're going to ask questions. Um, They'll figure it out at some point, probably, I suppose. The other one that we nearly left out of this story yeah, was Ruadon. Son of Bress and Bridget. And we, I'd forgotten about him. And mm. this is the first time there was ever a keening in Ireland, mm-hmm. which is this utterly heart-wrenching, beautiful way of dealing with grief which is not in um our culture anymore but it it certainly has some connotations because our connections Mm because i think the irish deal with death well uh we Mm. we surround each other we like any you know our grandmother's um funeral in in january even though she was from a different county there was just lots of people came up to show up in social distance ways and whoever had who else had died during um, this year, I've just seen so much outpouring of people trying to show up. And it's been a really strange year for any death to be around because usually Irish people are just thronged into the one, mm-hmm. one space and and just showing everyone that is upset that they're there and yep. they're feeling it. And they're also like wailing and being sad and crying and bawling in public is not something that's, that's uh, discouraged. And it, yeah. it comes back to this idea of keening, which is, yeah. you know, I think the longest lasting keeners were on the Iron Islands mm-hmm. and um, they, like the old women, they would, they would literally be jobs. They, they, you know, they would, it, yeah, they would you go would, to. It was a job. You would go to the funerals and you would keen and keening is kind of like, it's, it's sort of like a shrieking sob. Um, it's not, it's not a, it's not a song. Um, like the banshee is keening. That's what her cry is uh, to give people, right. I guess, a reference. Like that's, that's why she's a death omen because she's, she keens for you before your death. If you're one of the uh. families that she appears to. Um, and so it was this, it was a really kind of important part of, of the culture. And like, it was a thing that was done at funerals and it was kind of like a, a, a place to express the grief that these keeners would come and wail uh, for the dead as a real sort of public demonstration of grieving. And like, it's, it's true. It like we do, we're much more public in the way that we deal with funerals. And I think a lot of cultures, um, like I so often have this, African- there's, uh, a, there's a lot of African yeah. culture, cultures that have the same thing, apparently. Yeah. Um, and I heard an amazing story recently about a guy, a British guy, who uh, lost his child tragically. And uh, he he was just kind of, you know, numb and couldn't deal with it. And his, his wife wasn't uh, with him at the time. And the uh, cleaner came back after being away for two weeks. And in the interim, the kid had died. And so the cleaner who had kind of babysat and minded the kid and he turned to her and told her the, I put the horrible accent and she she just went on her knees and, and wailed and shrieked and it was animalistic. And uh, the report that I heard was he finally felt some actual grieving come up 
Yeah. And it, it was that that brought it out of him. And he actually yeah. felt sad and he felt because that's what it does. It, it literally does. brings your heart up and opens you up to, to that emotion and that response, which is adequate and necessary and needs to be done. Because if you don't, you'll get you get stuck and, and, and yeah. then, then the emotions don't move properly and you go through your day and, and you're and like, a bit burned. It's, it's funny, you know, when you when you say it's animalistic, because I think that there is something about a lot of the problems that we get into as human beings is when we try and pretend that we're not animals. And when we try and actually deny that and we try and kind of go, oh, well, this noise is too, too bestial and it's, it's uncouth and I don't like it. That's where we tend to get really stuck uh, yeah. in, in various different ways. Uh, whereas when there's actually an acknowledgement of like, actually this, this is a time to scream like the world is ending because you mm. can give voice to that um yeah it brings kind of. a different it brings a different thing i remember talking to uh i remember i was i was interviewing some um some african women around the time that uh nelson mandela died uh which was a few years ago now and one of them, one of them told me that they were going to they, it was it was the day it was the day that he died or it was the day after he died it just so happened to be and one of the women was telling me that that they she was going to go to St Patrick's Cathedral they were having a lot of the people the South Africans in in Dublin were having like a gathering there and she said like you know people people who aren't African don't understand like we'll be there we'll be singing we'll be crying we'll be laughing all at the same time and often Europeans don't get it and I was like I think I think you haven't been in Ireland very long because I think you'll find we get it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, because yeah. I think actually, I think actually our death traditions are, are, uh, they're quite deep as well here. And I think they're, you know, it's, it's, it's something that we've talked about before because I, I think it's something that we're both, um, yeah, proud of in an odd way that we don't have in the same. In an odd way. Well, like, I think, I think a lot of the Western world has a really dysfunctional disconnection from death and mortality and I think in mm -hmm. Ireland we have managed to hold on to quite a lot of our much more functional human animal relationship with death um a lot of it now a lot I think that the keeners is a good example of something that we haven't held on to and that's actually has been lost and only in yeah. the last kind of like when how long were the Aran Island uh, keeners going on for like, uh, that's... about a, an old lady and a half ago yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's not even like probably one old lady ago. Probably an old lady ago. Um. So yeah, like it's it's not that it's not that far removed from us. Um. But yeah, the Bridget Keening is is a really interesting one. Um. I mean, it does remind me of of when cattle get their uh, calves removed from them, and they're they're separated to be like whatever either fattened or put into different um fields and stuff and the lowing of the cows yeah. it just goes on and it's just this belly aching you know roar and it's animalistic mm -hmm. and it's a cry and it's an like it's an absolutely tragic and such a sorrowful thing to hear and you're just like oh cows stop making me feel <laughs> bad for your cows <laughs> like but it is it is it's that like 
wail that you kind of have to do, I think, to, in order to get over the grief of a son, a loved one and anything. And yeah, like you say, it's a weird thing to be kind of proud of. But I think when you wear, wear your heart and your sleeve, you get a few more bruises, but you ultimately you're able to to see that it's beating that bit more. You know you're alive and you know that you're going to die. And maybe mm-hmm. one of the problems with, uh, you know, that's that this year showed us is that the world is terrified of death. And maybe we shouldn't be that terrified of death because, you know, we all got to We all got to do it. We all got to do it. So on that note, everybody, please remember <laughs> that someday you two will die. Uh, someday, yeah. <laughs> someday this too will pass. Uh, and this includes you. And that's OK, uh, because you know what? So does everybody else. So uh, we're all in that one together, guys. And hopefully you will leave a story behind you. <laughs> yeah, a good one. Almost as good as Lou throwing the either stone or spear across the battlefield and bashing Balor's eye out of his head. I, I like it uh, when it's a stone. It gives me very David and Goliath vibes, but you know. Yeah, um, depends on what you I, I also like the, the slow burn, no pun intended, of taking off the veils one at a time. Uh, which I usually forget when we're doing this live and I'm like halfway through it and I'm like, ah, crap, I forgot the sequence of the veils again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know it's usual. true. And, yeah. and actually, interestingly, again, I wasn't sure, but it is, again, usually we've left Balor kind of sitting at the back of this army waiting for his time because he's so old and so hideous and so grotesque and huge. But this time because Lady Gregory mentions him in the battle a few times and killing uh, uh, Nuada, again, Mm -hmm. it was, I kind of, yeah, it was nice to put him back into the human aspect of fighting in the war and and actually, you know, being the heavy blows. Like, he can't die, but he's fighting away and he just He's fighting away? All right, fuck it. You're getting, you're getting nuked. And did you clock who, who took the dagger down in this story? Balor's wife, Kathleen. Oh yeah, Kathleen. Kathleen, yeah, sorry. Kathleen Kathleen goes toe-to-toe with the Dagda and she lays him out. Woman's woman's scary. Like, you know, it's it's uh so yeah, the Balor Balor and his missus. And this is apparently why the uh, ancient Romans were afraid of the Celts, because they brought their wives into battle with them. Uh, which is I think a really funny way of saying they had female soldiers, but you know. It is actually a very funny way. It's an interesting interpretation <laughs> of that. Um, right. Now that you say it out loud, I hear it. And now I, I hear the weirdness. <laughs> I hadn't though before. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, Kathleen, uh, she's some uh, where, She's some towns named after up, up north. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember the names of the towns, but I remember, that, I remember looking that up. And, oh, Ooh. cool. So she is in some way remembered. Um, yeah. But yeah. Fair play to Kathleen of the Crooked Teeth. Mental name, mad name, but she she hey. done did one for Bal. Uh, she for done she done laid out the dog there. She didn't kill him, but she did she did knock him out. Um, so come here. Um, yeah. This podcast is actually going to be you know recorded before we get a chance to listen to the music that Rory O'Shea has put mm. to it. Now Rue is doing a great thing of putting uh, his interpretation, his way of putting the music up uh, talking about how he's done it up on our patreon page as well mm-hmm. so if you're interested about how uh, rory has been putting up 
uh, putting together the music. If you want to listen to the, just the, the music on its own, that'll be going up onto our YouTube page as well uh, as our Patreon uh, pre-release. So there's there's those bonuses going up. We're, yeah. we've been trying to get to the bonuses, and thankfully, uh, Rue is you know taking Ru, that on. Rue took that um, on. So Rue, yeah, making of making the music uh, podcast series is going up on Patreon for anybody who wants to. Uh, who's curious about that um yeah and thank you so much for listening as always guys um our patreon page is candletales.com uh, forward slash no wait no other way around patreon.com forward slash candletales or you nice. can actually go to our website candletales where there is a link to our patreon and a link to there will be links to our upcoming shows when we get to have upcoming shows again and there is also a link to a paypal button where you can make a one-time donation if you don't want to like commit to a patreon thing which we totally get and no worries if not that's because uh if you like and share subscribe or you know uh follow us on the the old uh socials that also helps uh, every little helps and hopefully you just enjoyed these stories and we're we're nearly finished the invasion story series but we're not quite yet and yeah. um, we've a couple more stories coming and uh yeah it's been an amazing one to try and condense into a mm-hmm. series of stories and it's taken us oh uh, you know uh through spring and well mm-hmm. into summer now uh, and it'll probably see us through summer by the end of it but yeah. look uh thanks very much and uh Keep her lit. You.